Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. I'm excited to preach. I'm going to talk about faith and politics. Faith and politics. So it's going to be fun. And uh, I'm excited about it. And I figure in this, you know, I kind of dress a little politician-esque today. But in the spirit of, you know, that, I thought I'll roll up my sleeves. You know what I mean? Kind of go town hall on it. That way, you know, I'm ready to roll up my sleeves and, uh, you know, get to work, you know? It's like classic politician vibes. You know, it's a lot harder to roll up your sleeves with one hand than I thought, okay? So, in hindsight, I'm not going to do that because it's not working. But anyways, all right. I'm going to talk about faith in politics. This can be a, an area of concern for a lot of people or uncomfortability. Probably not if you've been coming to Awaken for a little while, but... It can be an area that's uncomfortable, but for me, this was something that was very second nature to me growing up. And that, that's because for me, um, I, I would say this, I grew up on Jesus and Rush Limbaugh. You know what I mean? So I had the, the rare privilege uh, back then, less rare these days, but I was homeschooled. And because of that, my mom got the opportunity to have me in an atmosphere where I was hearing from God. I was, I was uh, getting downloads not only from great messages, teaching, impartation of God's word, but then also usually around lunchtime, we're going to have some uh, conservative talk radio going on, right? And so to me, all, all as a kid, the, the, the combination of my faith and my politics were always seamless. There was never this, this thought that it was separate. There was never the thought that church was just something that happened, you know, from uh, 11 a.m. to, you know, depends on how hungry you are, depends on how early you hope I get done with this message, right? So, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's not a box that you kind of fit your faith in, but you kind of live your real life out here, right? I, I, I learned from a young age that as a believer, it should impact every part of my life, right? How I talk should be informed by my faith, right? What I do should be informed by my faith. My politics should be informed by my faith, right? Just like, um, you know, I I think in our our lives, a lot of times, again, even the terms like separation of church and state, I think most of us know that's nowhere in our constitution, our declaration of independence, and it was meant to keep the state out of the church, not vice versa, right? But the thing about it is, is that if I'm actually going to be a true believer, then it actually should impact every area of my life. It's actually incongruent and will literally cause, I would say, levels of literal moral insanity on your life if you attempt to live two different ways. Right? We can't actually keep up a two-faced type of life for very long. There'll be a crack. There'll be a, a breaking down mentally, emotionally if we attempt to live that way. So when we actually live as a believer, you know, we're only going to be able to go so long living, you know, clapping our hands, pretending like everything's good in here, and then living completely different out there. At some point, that catches up. And, and, but that should apply then to every area of our life. 
I want my faith, I want your faith to inform your politics, to inform how you vote, right? We got opportunity, we got a remnant table out there collecting, securing the votes out there. I'm excited to cast my vote. I'm going to bring that out right afterward and, and, and place that vote because it matters and it's very important that we engage in this process. But the question is, who do we vote for? How do we vote? How do we involve or how do we allow our, our faith to impact our politics? And think about this uh, from the very beginning, right? Uh, from the very beginning, I learned that when the righteous rule, this is Proverbs, the people rejoice, but when the wicked are in power, ah, we got a problem, okay? The people groan, it says. How many know there have been some groaning in this last season, right? And, and the, the truth is, we have to learn how to take our place in this role of leadership, take our place in this role of impacting our world. And Genesis, right from the very beginning, Genesis actually calls us into this. And it's all throughout Scripture, but Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. You know, you and me are in charge of the planet. Well, God is, you know, it, the, the Bible all throughout kind of gives parables. Jesus talks about, you know, the parable of the talents is him giving talents saying, hey, I'm out. When I return, I'm going to expect a multiplication of what you've done, right? So you and me are going to have to answer to God for what we did with the earth while we lived here. When, when you die and get to heaven, it can't be like, oh, man, thank God I got out of there. God, you will not believe how crazy things got down on earth. And it'd be like, yeah, exactly. What the heck were you doing down there? How come you didn't stop it? How come you didn't step in? How come you didn't lead different? How come you didn't take territory for the kingdom of God? That's more what it's going to be like when you get to heaven. Not like God going, quick, quick, rush in the gates of heaven before the enemy gets you. You know what I mean? You're not escaping into heaven real quick and shutting the door as fast as you can before the flames jump in. You know what I mean? That's not what it's going to be. You're going to get to heaven and be like, what the heck? I'll put you in charge. I gave you one job. You know what I mean? Like, Right? We are here to increase, multiply, take dominion, rule over, subdue the earth. It's our responsibility. That includes politics. So for us, unfortunately, in, in America, we have, you know, in this last... You know, quite a few decades, there's been an unfortunate preaching of kind of like, hey, politics is dirty. Get your hands off of it. Jesus come back any day anyways. So what does it all matter? Just live for Christ. Let all this other stuff go to hell in a handbasket, whatever that means. And, uh, and, and it's, all, it's all fine. Well, now we're well past all the original predictions of when Jesus was about to return. And now here we are left with a world that is in absolute chaos because Christians stopped leading. Christians left education. Christians left politics. Christians left uh, the sciences. Christians, right, we left Hollywood. We left all these spaces that we were designed to dominate and lead in, and then we're left sitting with this reality and going, well, uh, this is pretty much what I think would be the natural byproduct of people abdicating their role and responsibility. So God has given you and me as believers and just as humans the mandate to take care of the earth, to manage the population, to lead this world, right? And so because of that, um, then also us as the church, I love this in the second uh, great awakening in America, uh, 
one of the famous evangelists and preachers, Charles Finney, said this, and I feel this mandate on us as well. He, he, he's quoted as saying this, if there is a decay of conscience, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the public press lacks moral discrimination, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the church is degenerate and worldly, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the world loses its interest in religion, the pulpit is responsible for it. If Satan rules in the halls of legislation, the pulpit is responsible for it. If our politics become so corrupt that the very foundations of our government are ready to fall away, the pulpit is responsible for it. Man, what a, what a quote, what a phrase, what a, a challenge, I think, to us. And, and truly, as a pastor as well, I feel the weight of this deeply. I feel this is the primary reason for the decay of culture is because of silent pulpits. And a little while back, and I, I got to write a book about it, but uh, a little while back, I felt the stirring about this sort of pulpits on fire again. God, that you would set ablaze again the pulpits in our great nation, right, to speak the truth to raise the standard, to call people back to Jesus once again. And I think it's, our, it's, a, it's a really sad lie that pastors have, have taken. Thankfully, not our pastors. Come on, Pastor Jürgen and Leanne. Uh, how many thankful for them? Yeah. But if you're the enemy, you're like, okay, how can I get the moral center of a nation to stop saying what needs to be said? Okay, we're going to convince them that it's not biblical or godly to talk about politics, so they just let the world take over, and that's exactly what happened, unfortunately. But the church is rising, and that is good news, okay? So the, not only do I believe that uh, our Christianity was central to the founding of this nation, so did our founding fathers. Benjamin Franklin, who was known to be one of the least religious, said this, I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? Right when they're forming our constitution, this was his his speech. Another one, great uh, one of our founders, James Madison, said this: "We have staked the whole future of our new nation not upon the power of government; far from it. We have staked the future of all our political constitutions upon the capacity of each of ourselves to govern ourselves according to the moral principles of the Ten Commandments of God." Don't let anyone lie to you and say that Christianity wasn't the central building block of this nation. God's word is what built America, okay? And our founding fathers knew that, built that, believed in that. Later on, one of the great presidents, Abraham Lincoln, said, Sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right, right? Uh, because of the faith informing our nation's founding is why we have experienced the blessing. It's why we have experienced prosperity as a nation. It's why everybody is trying to get into this country, right? Not because we're the worst country in the world, but actually because we're the greatest country. 
But why are we the greatest? Because we just had like lucky good laws that we put together? Just because like we had nice people that decided to gather together? No, because of the founding, guiding, governing principles was from God's word. It was guided by, it was central to, it's why our nation's constitution has lasted longer than any other nation has ever lasted in the course of human history because, right, and with the level of freedoms. There have been other empires, but no freedoms, right? America's unique in that. America's specific in that. But not just because, like, oh, I love America because I'm born in America and I bleed red, white, and blue, you know, all that kind of good stuff, which I do. But that's not, that's not why I'm saying that. Red, white, and blue and Red Bull, is that what you said? Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying it because I'm proud to be an American or I was born in this great nation. I'm saying it because the reason why America is standing like it is is because of this book. Right? The Constitution wouldn't stand if it wasn't built on this book. God's Word, right? So our value system is important and central. And over the years, I would hear messages, especially around election time, and a preacher would typically say something like, hey, maybe you've heard this before. Hey, come on, everybody, let's vote our values, right? Anyone ever heard that, right? Vote, vote your morals, vote your conscience, right? And it's been probably happening longer than this, but about 15 plus years ago is when I realized we can't say that anymore. We got to stop saying that. That's not good enough. Instead of saying vote your values or vote your morals or vote your conscience, we actually need to start saying it's time to vote your Bible. Okay? And so that's what I want to preach on this morning. A message called Vote Your Bible. Vote Your Bible. Because what you realize is that as time has gone on, the, the, the value system of the church has actually become more and more like the value system of the world. And so when you tell even somebody who comes to church, hey, come on, everybody, Tuesday, let's vote our values. Everybody says amen. And some of us go out and vote for politicians who are pro-life and support the sanctity of life. And some of us go out of here and vote for politicians who are pro-choice and pro-abortion. And we all leave the, the kind of the, the polling station feeling like, yeah, I voted my values. And the truth is you did. But the question is, what has been informing your values? Is, is the Bible the primary information in forming your values or as a secular godless culture trying to um, support our values. So we have to continue to not just as, as believers, we, we don't want to just try to vote uh, what we feel. We want to vote God's word. And, and we may not always know the difference until we really get into God's word. But let me just kind of remind us of some of the value systems that are being pushed in our culture by a lot of politicians right now. Um, you know, and, and again, it may be, yeah, anyways, I'll just, I'll just jump into it. So a lot of, a lot of people are pushing this narrative, uh, that, uh, they're trying to push people to claim greater levels of victimhood, right? It actually seems like it's a bit of a competition to see who can be the most victim, right? Try to stack your victim like it's playing cards. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you're like, Hey, I'll see you that, uh, issue and I'll raise you something else. You know what I mean? And whoever's got the best hand of collective victimhood, you're the winner, right? And you get the handout, or you get the help, or you get the pass, right? So there's a lot of victimhood getting pushed, right? Uh, there's a lot of, um, you know, the, one of the biggest kind of talking points for, sadly, most Democratic parties right now is uh, free and unrestricted abortion for all, right? Or, uh, as they're calling it more, re re reproductive health care, right? 
that's one of the biggest narratives. I thankfully I don't watch a lot of TV these days, you know, but every once in a while, especially with sports, I'm catching a live commercial from a politician and I'm just shocked. It's like they just forgot every other thing. They just know like, hey, if we're going to get people angry and try to convince them that uh, to vote for us, we're going to get them all believing that all these, you know, kind of politicians that are, are saying they're pro-life, really what they are is, is against women and oppressive and stripping rights. They're trying to change the language versus realizing uh, the lie. And they're just like, they're campaigning on killing children. Like that is literally the primary narrative right now in most political campaigns from sadly the Democratic Party, right? And now you might be like, wow, this is pretty strong like Democrat versus Republican. But here's the way I like to think about this. This isn't about um, being pro-Republican or pro-Democrat like it's our favorite football team. You know what I mean? Like, I'm a Seahawks fan. I'm cheering for the Seahawks today against the Cardinals. And, uh, and we're going we're gonna to believe for a victory today, keep the winning cycle going here, right? And, and even though I moved out of Seattle a while back, I'm like, I, I don't feel like I can give my heart away to another team. I got to stay true. I got to stay connected, right? I keep fighting for it. And since there's no good teams down here anyway, so I'm just going to keep fighting for it, right? And even though it's a way better team than the San Francisco 49ers, I definitely... I de- Okay. <laughs> the crowd has turned against me. <laughs> I see this so, I mean, one of the most uh, competitive sports people is Cynthia Lujan right now. So she's, she will just say some crap to people online about sports. Like, I love you, praying for you. Also, if you support the Padres, you are of Satan. I'm like, wow, that's strong. She's like, you lack discernment. I'm like, wait, is this a joke or is she being serious right now? I can't tell. She's serious. Yeah, I think that is true. I think that's true. (laughs) Uh, But I'm not like, you know, uh, voting Republican because, well, you know, my great granddad did, you know, it's my team and my grandpa did and my dad did. And so I'm going to do it. No, I, I, I'm not going to vote for a politician like that. I'm not voting for a party because, like, we've just always done that. I'm going to choose the best candidates. Now, right now, the Republican platform tends to side with life more than the Democratic Party does, right? By a lot, unfortunately, right? So it makes the choice pretty easy. But this isn't about being a bandwagon person on one party till you die. This is, somebody said it, I thought it was a great analogy. What we're doing is we're more building a fantasy football team, right? Where you're picking the best players who are going to get the job done and win, right? So that's more what we're trying to do right now. We're trying to pick the best players. If most of them happen to side on one sort of party, well, it is what it is at this stage, Right, But I would love to have way more better choices that all stood for life, that stood for truth. I'd love it if both uh, parties in this nation both stood up for the right things and both had a, a platform of honoring God and honoring life. Well, then it would, just, it would change the playing field of choices. It would be very different. But anyways, okay, so handout culture, welfare type stuff. Um, that is, that's a massive issue in our culture. Everyone gets stuff for free. Everyone should get it for free, have it for free. Everyone's owed everything. And um, that, that's, just, that's a, just a destructive lie. That, man, you owe it. You deserve it. You, you, it's like, oh, really? 
Does everyone just deserve everything because they're alive? No, we, we want to create an atmosphere where you can produce anything. But you're not owed everything just because you're living. You know, everyone doesn't just, yeah, hey, everyone should have the best house. Everybody should have the best car. Well, I would like everybody too, and everybody can. But you don't just deserve it because you're alive. You're not just giving it, right? It's actually destructive to people, okay? Uh, radical kind of racial discrimination in the name of equality is something that's getting pushed. Uh, things like overtaxation, oppressive laws that actually harm people. Our founding fathers would be just devastated at the level of basically legalized robbery that's happening through taxation at this stage of the game, right? Uh, that's uh, unbelievable. Uh, promising equality of outcomes, that's an impossibility that the, the left tries to push as, as a primary narrative. It's, it, you can't guarantee outcomes. You, you, can, you can give people principles, and, but people's input determines outcomes, right? Uh, here's another one like, uh, that's being pushed a lot right now, sexual type of freedoms, right? Where uh, it just anything goes, you know, and there should be no restrictions ever on anything. Uh, that's something being pushed. Uh, you know, other narratives just in general, like, don't tell me what to do. I should be able to free to do whatever I want. This is a free country. I can do whatever I want. But I don't know if you know this, but our nation was not founded on being able to just do whatever you want. Right? That's anarchy. That's chaos. That's actually not how freedom works. Freedom doesn't work when we do whatever we want. Freedom works when we do what's right, right? When we do what's right, that's, that's where uh, the nation comes from. So I'm going to try to hit as many things as I can here, but I've created way too many notes. I want to talk more about some of the things that the Bible teaches us that should inform the kind of candidates that we're voting for and that we're choosing, okay? So I want to build out some of that. First of all, a little cheat sheet that kind of covers all of it is John 10.10. Jesus says, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and life to the full, right? So whenever I'm looking for what candidate I'm going to vote for, I'm looking for life. Who's, who's fighting for life versus who's producing death, right? That is a, a great general blanket kind of overarching theme as I'm choosing who I'm going after, as I'm choosing who to select and put into office. And why do we want godly men and women in office? Because they're going to enact laws and, and lead in a way that's going to produce life and freedom in our nation, right? So when when a righteous rule, the people rejoice. That's what we're going to keep going after. Some people, of course, I've been called a Christian nationalist a lot, which has a million different definitions. I would say I'm a part of this nation, and I'm a Christian, so I guess I am. Uh, but And I want to see this nation saved. But you know what? I don't just want to see America saved. I want to see every nation saved. You're like, do you really think every nation on earth should be led by Christians and by biblical values? 100%. <laughs> I want China to be a Christian nation. I want America to be a Christian nation. I want Afghanistan to be a Christian nation. Come on, I want every nation on earth to be a Christian nation. Are you saying you, you, every nation should force everyone to be a Christian? No, you can't do that. You can't force Christianity. You can't force faith on people. But if you want a free nation, it has to be built on biblical principles. There's no other way for people to live free than through God's word. Amen? Amen. Okay, so let me get you a couple things. I, when I'm looking for a politician or who to vote for or policies, I'm looking for somebody who's submitted to God. You know, our, our pledge still says that we are one nation under God, 
right? Our money says, in God we trust now. But we, this pledge, and I was at the Encinitas School Board uh, kind of raising our voice against this drag show kind of that was getting pushed throughout the entire kind of school district. And I thought it was interesting that they all... Um, stood up and recited this pledge before we got into it. And I thought, I was waiting to see if they were going to remove the word God when they were doing the pledge. Because I thought, like, if I was them and believed all this crap, I would take God out of the pledge if I was them. But they all said it. I was just like, wow, okay. I was like, do, do they know which God they're pledging to? Because it's this one, right? This is the God who founded this nation. We are one nation under this God, not under good vibes, <laughs> Right? We're, we're one nation under God, right? Right? So if we are under God, then that should change how we govern, right? It should change how we live. It's actually the only reason why a nation like ours is able to last as long as it has and be as free as it has because it is submitted to a higher authority. This is why tyrants always attack religion when they're trying to take over a culture, right? Because religion is the only thing that can stop communism and tyranny, right? That is what ultimately breaks down the authority of some of these, uh, these regimes or these tyrants is a, is a religious people who serve something beyond just what the government is telling me to do. Therefore, I must do it and submit and bow and respond and never question and never challenge. No, we have a higher authority than any government. I love our nation, but I serve God, right? And so if, if my nation ever asked me to do something that is in opposition to the will of God, then I'm sorry, nation, governor, president, mayor, whatever you are, I have a different authority that I ultimately answer to. And if you, get, if you get enough of us who believe that, that changes a city. That changes a nation. That, that, that does not allow tyranny to continue. And William Penn actually said this, those who will not be ruled by God will be ruled by tyrants, Right? So you, it's, you, when, you, when you don't submit to God, you exchange submission to God to submission to tyrants. That's how it works, right? Samuel Adams said this, a general delusion uh, or dissolving, right, of principles and manners will, be more surely, will more surely overthrow the liberties of America than the whole force of the common enemy. While the people are virtuous, they cannot be subdued. But when once they lose their virtue, then we'll be ready to surrender their liberties to the first external or internal invaders. Um, if we are not submitted to God, we will be overthrown by other nations, by other evil dictators. That, that's, the, that's the cycle of nations. That is the, the, the reproduction of, of civilization over the years. And our nation... Uh, is amazing still. I'm thankful that we've got a lot of grace, I think, by God over our nation. There's a lot of uh, freedoms that we still hold dear, but they are slipping through our fingers. And it's not because we just have a bad politician out there, or man, we passed a couple bad laws, or we should have changed this. It's because we have rejected this as our primary authority. Right. And when when we remove ourselves from the Bible being what we submit ourselves to, then we start replacing it with government. And of course, the bigger government gets and it tries to play God. It doesn't do a great job at that, by the way. Um, and actually, God is the one who established government. 
right? Sometimes people, on the other hand, as Christians, might be like, well, all government is bad. No, actually, God designed it. God established government. There's the three kind of leadership sort of structures God put together, government, the church, and the family, right? All three of those are central to a healthy civilization thriving together, right? Of course, the family is the bedrock of any healthy community or any healthy nation, but the church is the moral compass of both of those, right? Which is why Charles Finney quote that if, if evil is running rampant in a nation, the pulpit is responsible for it, right? Because when the church is silent, like Pastor Leanne said, when the church is silent, a nation loses its way, right? And so because of the silence of the church, uh, morality has slipped, evil has crept in, uh, you know, a nation has rejected its foundations. And so now we're trying to, you know, restore things or help things or fix things. And even as believers, I want to encourage you, don't fall for a lie that fixing it can come from a secular strategy. In the sense that, you know what, religion is kind of contentious. Not everyone believes what we believe. So let's just, you know, let's all, let's all put religion aside and let's kind of build on like just like a, a, a religiously void or neutral kind of platform. And then we can all just kind of get along. Well, first of all, that is a secular religion, basically, of atheism, of uh, a satanic kind of influence on a nation when people try to do that. But that is missing the very point of how America got founded and built. We're not built because we just put together a couple of good laws. We are built on God's truth. And when truth is rejected, then we miss it all. Shoot, your size is already up here. I told him to send you up, though. It's my fault. Well, shoot, uh, there's a lot left. I'll go a little bit longer. I'll go a bit longer. I, I had him give me a buffer. I said, come up with 10 minutes left. So listen, these last 10 are just going to feel so much better with that, with that keyboard in the background. You know what I'm saying? He can't hear me. He's just nodding. Uh, he's got the in-ears in. Oh, can you hear me? Okay. All right, let's check. Okay, here's a couple. So you're looking for leaders who are submitted to God, right? Now, not every politician we get to vote for is a Christian, uh, which we all need to keep preaching the gospel so we can get there. Um, but the and a lot of times you've heard the statement, you're, you know, you got to vote for the lesser of two evils, which is one, in one sense true. I mean, as long as there's humans you're voting for, it's going to be that. Um, but the truth is that there's there's a big difference, and I, I love how Pastor Jurgen kind of leaned into this in, in some of our previous elections, is that there's a difference between somebody who transgresses God's laws as a politician versus those who oppose it, right? So all of us in this room, we are transgressors in the sense that we have offended God's laws. We have sinned. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We've all messed up. We got a lot of politicians who've sinned, and guess what? They're probably going to keep sinning right? Because they're humans. It's one thing to be a sinner running for office. It's another thing to be someone who's opposing God's laws running for office. And that's one of the biggest things you want to look at people. You might be like, well, you know, their background and their history and their story. And it's like, okay, yeah. And how about your story? <laughs> how about my story? Right? We all got history, right? Some of us know we just ain't going to run for office. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, it's not going to work. It's better, better not. Better just to leave that aside. You know what I mean? Choose a different career path. You know what I mean? Uh, 
But, but the truth is we've all got sin. We've all got things that we've dealt with. But there's a difference when you're actively resisting God's ways. So when people are pushing uh, pro-abortion agenda, that's resisting God, right? Uh, when they are, are pushing things that uh, are this, this sexual perversion, that is resisting God's ways, right? So I'm not, I, I want to find people on the ballot that even if they're not fully like bought in believers like we are yet, or they've got sin in their life and their history, I'm gonna find people on the ballot that are not opposing God and standing against his ways, amen? You want people who stand for truth and justice, right? Uh, I love Micah 6, 8, says this, he has shown you a moral what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. That, that verse in itself, you could preach a series on it. It's just so powerful. But we want justice in our land. And a lot of times people can get nervous about that word, but God is the God of justice. He, he, he's, no, he's a debtor to no man in the sense that if there has been injustice, if there has been lies, if there has been an abuse, God will work justice for, for the accused, the oppressed, the, um, those who have been mistreated. God does not allow injustice to continue. And as believers, we should be passionate about truth. We should be passionate about wrongs being right. We should be passionate about seeing justice served in the right way in our land which is why we have laws. America's unique in that. If you've been to other countries, you know laws are suggestions, right? And here it's a little different, right? Now, not everyone abides by the laws, but there is a general bedrock of rule following in America. Why? Because we are governed by a higher, higher power. And I know that I ultimately answer to God before I answer to anybody else. So I'm going to walk in that. Here's another thing you see is, is self-government versus allowing the government to get bigger, right? God actually promotes a self-governing mechanism, right? John Adams said this, we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to govern any other. Right? This nation was designed to be a free republic that our self-governed people submitted to God. When that equation breaks down, it's why we have the chaos we do, and we have the government keep trying to take more authority, trying to step in and take more control till we're some, another replication of a communist nation, right? Where the big bad government says, y'all don't know what the heck you're doing, so we got this, and uh, we're gonna kind of give you pittance to survive, so you're more in servitude towards us, but we're the big government, we're kind of the God character in this story, we know what to do, and we're gonna take care of you. That's why I always be careful when the government keeps promising you more help, more security, and more safety. That's a dangerous thing, right? When in doubt, reject that, right? Push that away, right? We are sufficient in God. We need to be self-governed. It's why the Word of God is so important, and it's why we see more lawlessness in this last era, because when you tell somebody, hey, that's wrong, it's like they, they have no internal guidance system to go, yeah, you're right. I shouldn't be doing that, because we've rejected this. So when you reject this, then we just get into all kinds of garbage. Obviously, valuing life. We're looking for politicians who value life. The Bible actually says that life doesn't even just, the value of life doesn't even just begin at conception. It begins before. 
The Bible says a few times, before I formed you, before I knew you, right? I appointed, right? God actually puts value on humanity even before, right? And so any thought of any level of abortion is acceptable up to X amount of weeks is all a tragedy. Abortion is just never acceptable. It It just should never be an option. And we have politicians running on that bandwagon as we'll make sure you can keep killing your innocent babies. But life is valued by God and should be protected by us. Uh, we want to find politicians who promote uh, stirring up people to be contributors to society, right? Second Thessalonians says, uh, for when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. <laughs> right? Parents, you might want to use that. And, uh, but that, that is a, a fundamental concept that we actually want to see happen better in culture. Uh, instead of everyone getting a handout, that's not biblical. All right, what are you doing? What are you, well, how are you going to add value to society? That is a biblical concept that you get to live and survive and you get compensation for what you bring to the table. You don't just get free handouts because you exist. Right? That's, that's, now, as parents, we have a mandate by God to care for, obviously, our children when they're young. But they're, they're, that's good enough for Zach. Uh, so, uh, but we, we need to not have some sort of weird mindset um, that everyone should just get everything they want all the time without any effort. It's actually one of the biblical principles. It, this is where a lot of times people are like, well, man, that's not very nice. It's not very Christian to not like give handouts or not like help people or help the poor and do all this kind of stuff because they have a wrong kind of perception of it. In the Old Testament, there's this concept of gleaning that, that it was one of the mandates that God gave his people to stay generous and helpful to those who are poor. And if you've, if you've heard of the concept, it's like if you have a field of hay or corn or whatever your crop is that you're growing, you were mandated by God not to harvest every ounce of it. You actually needed to keep some edge around the field for those who were poor, those who were going through a difficult season, but you didn't harvest it for them. Those who were poor would come and harvest it themselves. But why is that like, oh, well, you're so mean. You're making poor people work. No. What they don't understand is that work provides value. When, when I, right? When I work, my self-esteem goes up. When I do something productive, my value increases in me. And so when you, when somebody is so beat down in a state where everything's just being handed to them, there's such a dissolved version of themselves versus helping them work, helping them find employment, helping them increase their, their wealth is not just because, wow, if you're really nice, if you're a real Christian, you just give them money. Well, actually, that may be the exact opposite thing that's helpful to them, right? The Bible says that a hunger, the hunger of a man drives him. When you remove hunger from people, you actually hurt them. And obviously, I'm not talking about watching somebody starve to death on the side of the street, right? I'm talking about the people who constantly live in a constant state of getting handouts, and nobody's really helping them. But we all feel better, right? But I don't want to live by just feeling better. I want to help people get better. I want to help their life thrive. I want to help their life increase. 
so when you hear some politician bad-mouthing some conservative who doesn't want to just keep pouring tons and tons of money into homelessness in the city, which, by the way, homelessness in San Diego has continued to rise even though we keep pouring money. Guess what? Money's not the solution to poverty. Money is not the solution to poverty. Okay? And, and people have to, get, have to understand that. But I'm going to elect people who are going to help answer the problem and help educate and help people work their way, give them an opportunity to thrive, not just chuck money because we all feel better when we all sleep at night, but it never solves the problem, right? So th- this is why sometimes there can be contention in culture because people always say, well, you know, the nice thing to do. Well, nice and good are sometimes different. Nice because you feel better, but not necessarily good because it's helpful. I want to be good. I want to do what's good. I want to help people. I want to see their life thrive. Why do you think I'm going to preach a message, two services back to back, basically doing super political stuff here, and I'm going like, I think most of you guys are down for this, but I'm sure I'm offending somebody in the room. But why am I doing this? Why would I take all this time and it costs maybe some people not, not like me or are they talking about this and that? Because I love people. Because I, I, I don't want to see people keep electing people that are harming themselves and this nation. I want us to keep building a nation that honors God and elects God-fearing men and women. Amen. Amen. Philippians 2, 3 and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Once you stand your feet, I'm going to close in prayer. Um, I want us to elect people who are looking to the interests of others, not just their self. I want to I elect people who are fighting for others, doing their job in public office, not just trying to self-serve, get another pay raise, get reelected. It's one of the most dangerous parts about politics is it just becomes about staying elected. <laughs> And that's the worst reason to be in politics, right? They're called public servants for a reason. And we need to continue to maintain that, that heart and clarity. Um, you know, we got a big couple days ahead. And uh, Tuesday is going to be a big day. And I'm believing for some great shifts in our nation, uh, for power to be transferred back to men and women who have character godly men and women who are going to enact laws and who are going to lead and govern from a under God standpoint. We got to stop allowing the culture to tell us that a politician who prays or looks to God for guidance is somehow weak or inept or lack, not educated enough to lead themselves. No, our nation was formed on this and it will only stay if we maintain our attention on God's word. It's, it's actually very simple, but we have to not be afraid to talk about it, right? We have to be afraid, not afraid to lead people to the truth. We got to be not afraid to keep calling people back to God's word, right? We have to keep standing for it. We have to keep believing for it. And let's keep fighting for and electing people. And maybe you need to run for office in this next election cycle, right? Because we need men and women of strength and courage to step up. With one of them up there in the back, Rich, come on, Rich, this year. Come on. If you're, 
if he was in your district, how fun was that to vote for somebody that goes to our church that you know? I mean, that was amazing. We're so proud of you. Both you and Erica, you guys are incredible. Once you lift up your hands, let's pray one more time. Come on. Let's pray over them. Father, in the name of Jesus, I declare the goodness of God, the strength of God. I thank you, Lord, that you are causing people's eyes to uh, put their attention on his name, even if they haven't heard of him yet, even if the voter guide didn't get to them yet. God, I thank you they're voting for Rich. I thank you, Lord, that he's going to step into a new season of leadership and influence in our city and bless many, many people because of that. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Lift up your hands just around the room. Father, I thank you for our church family. God, give us courage in this season to lead with strength, to minister life to people. God, I thank you. Give us wisdom to lead well and to elect people who lead by your truth and by your word. God, I thank you that you would use our voice. Let it amplify in these next couple days to to stir people up to vote, to get active, to get in the mix, to not sit silently by, but to step up and lead our great nation back to your truth, back to your ways, back to your, uh, your principles, God. And God, we ask for your blessing on this nation. We ask, God, that you would bless this state. God, we declare that California belongs to you. We declare that San Diego County belongs to you. This is your people. This is your nation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And God, we continue to declare you are the God of this land. We are under your authority. We serve you in this nation. And God, we ask that you would put your favor and your blessing across this nation. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Amen, amen. You know, with everybody's head bowed and eyes closed, I just want to kind of ask a question before we... Uh, and end this morning, take off to lunch, hang out, watch football, go Seahawks. Um, try to always get Seahawks in my prayers when possible. Uh, before I before we do that, I just want you to evaluate your own heart right now. Where are you at with God? Are you good? Are you close? Are you in? Maybe you heard it said like this, like, are you in a right relationship with God, or are you connected to God? And you might be like, okay. Maybe you feel that and you know it. Yeah, I'm already good. Like, I've been walking with God for a while. I love it. Maybe you feel uncertain about that question. And how do you answer that? Well, the good news is you don't have to try to work really hard. You don't have to try to earn God's love. That's why he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. He was buried for three days. He rose again in power and victory. He overcame death, sin, and the curse. And all you and me have to do is put our faith in Jesus. We receive the gift of grace that he gave because he took the penalty of our sin. And so in a moment, I'm just going to have you lift up your hand. I want to pray with you this morning. If you say, yeah, that's me. I'm away from God. I'm disconnected from God, but I want to be close. I want to, I want to have a right relationship with God. I want to know that not only is my presence strong, but my eternity is secured. I'm going to give you that chance to put your faith in Jesus right now in this place. And he's going to forgive you. He's going to heal you. He's going to restore you. And he's going to bring you close. So the count of three, if that's you, you can say, Samuel, pray with me. I need my relationship with God restored. I need to put my faith in Jesus. I want you to pray with me. Lift up your hand. One, two, three. Lift up your hand. If that's you, say, I need, I need to get right with God. Anybody else say, that's me. Good. Anybody else say, that's me. Awesome. Awesome. Anybody else who say, I need to get my life right with God. I need to 
Allow him to be the leader of my life. Good. Anybody else? I want to give everybody a chance, everybody an opportunity. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray together as a church family. If you raise your hand or maybe even you're about to and you said, you know, this is your moment to get your life right with God. I want to pray with you. Simple prayer, but it's a decision to say, Jesus, I'm following you. Amen. So church, we're all going to pray this along with those who just lifted up their hands. But I want you to pray this with boldness and conviction. Know that he loves you. He's forgiven you and he's bringing you close. So church, say this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sin and raise him from the dead to give me life. Today, I choose to turn from my sin and follow Jesus with all my heart for the rest of my life. Jesus, fill me, baptize me with your Holy Spirit and with power. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already, and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.